0: Welcome to North Boston Korean United Methodist Church. Here we are a family that seeks to love others the way Jesus loved us and raise people up in his love. We are grateful to have you listen in. Regardless of who you are, you are welcome here. For more information,
1: check out our website at mbkumc.com.
0: come on. I could get it a little stronger. There's 40 people in the room. Good afternoon, everyone. Yeah. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. It's very good to see every person here. Um, we were going through a sermon series on Daniel, but I uh, really felt called to change that just for this week. Uh, we've been, for those of you guys who might not know, a lot of our leadership. We are on staff for a ministry called Arise Ministries, and Arise Ministries just had their summer conference uh, the last this past Thursday to Saturday. And as I was preparing this sermon, um, I, I didn't preach for it. Uh, we had a I had a really wonderful person that I respect come up from New York and preach for us. Um, but as I was preparing the sermon, I really felt the Lord uh, put it on my heart to share the theme verse with us so we are going to pause our Daniel sermon series we'll get right back to it next week it's going to get really apocalyptic and interesting but uh, for now we're going to pause and we're going to actually turn to Ephesians Ephesians chapter 5 we'll be doing Ephesians chapter 5 verses 8 through 14 Ephesians chapter 5 verses 8 through 14 Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. Okay. I'm reading from the ESV, um, but the NIV, the NRSV, all of these things are more than perfectly fine. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. Could we all rise for the reading of God's holy and perfect word? This is the word of the Lord. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light. Awake, O oh sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take this moment to pray as we stand. Lord, we are so grateful for the now uh, 41 people in this room. Lord, you have done so much um, in the hearts and the minds of these people. Lord, we just Thank you, Father, for this community that we cherish that you've given us. Lord, I just pray at this time that you would give us eyes and ears to hear your word for what it is, God. We thank you, Father, for all that you are doing. Lord, you are such a good, good Father. So more than thanking you for this equipment and thanking you for this space and thanking you for our community, Father, we thank you for who you are but we thank you for who you are. Holy Spirit, we are your beloved children. Would you take us to the next level with you and hide me behind your cross that only you are magnified and glorified. We love you so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. If at any point the outside becomes hot because it's sunny, you are more than welcome to close said doors. Let's just try to keep this temperature somewhat. I will do my best. I will do my best. Okay, we, this is, (laughs) hello everybody, we are, today's sermon title is Come Into the Light. And the main idea, for those of you guys who take notes, the main idea is come into the light as God's light shines on you. Come into the light as God's light shines on you. So I haven't read the first part of Ephesians 5, but Ephesians is a book about community. Ephesians is a book, a letter that is written to the church of Ephesus about community, and it's a wonderful book that is written specifically to the church of Ephesus, which is a uh, church that is located in an economic epicenter for their area. Uh, Lots of uh, business, It's a port city. It's very popular. They struggle with, um, I I mean, as was always the case, as is the case for us today, we struggle with, you know, worshiping different gods other than ourselves, uh, other than the Lord, a.k.a. ourselves. And we struggle with, you know, normalizing sin. And those were some of the things that Ephesians really struggled with. And so that's the space from which Paul is giving this Part this paracope, this part of, of the letter to um, And I'm just going to kind of delve in given that context. And I, I, I'm going to need you guys to track with me because this is some heavy stuff. It's heavy stuff. And the topic of this stuff has to do with sin. It has to do with sexual immorality. It has to do with covetousness. And it has to do with idolatry. And it has to do with love. And so I'm going to need you guys to keep your minds open to what God's word is saying to you because I don't know about your lives. You know your lives. I am just here to speak and to love on you. But this is God's word. And so I'm going to ask for everybody to keep their minds and their ears open and their hearts open to whatever God might be probing in their heart. So the first thing that we're going to talk about, you know, I didn't read that part, but it talks... I'll read it. I'll read it to you guys here. Ephesians chapter three on, but sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. That's just verse three. We'll take it little by little. What does it mean? What does fornication mean? Does anybody know what fornication means? Amy, what does fornication mean? just <laughs> I'm so sorry. There's not a single person that knows what fornication means? Yes, Sean? I'm afraid to say it, though. Just say it. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I get it, man, I get it. It's a topic. You know, we talk about outside of church, but it's hard to talk about in church because it's not normalized. Fornication is sex outside of marriage. hey it, this is something that has been talked about over and over again it is something that every single person has struggled with I am turning 26 this month which means I'm young I'm a woman that is not married and I struggle as well we all have I have struggled myself I'm not quite as pure as most pastors might be and so from a place of somebody who has no right to judge another person, we're gonna be talking a bit about fornication and covetousness, um, just because that's what scripture is talking about here. So fornication, right off the bat, we the wording of it is strong, sex outside of marriage, point blank, I don't need to explain this to y'all, it says here in scripture that that's a sin. Now, I wanna address something about something that was touched upon at this conference. Many of you guys were at this conference. If you guys were not there, it's okay. We'll see you there next time, hopefully. It was a great time, but one of the things that Pastor Joey, I love him, but one of the things, I love him, just in case, Pastor Joey, I love you. Um, One of the things that he touched upon that I did want to cover is he was talking about how Sinning had to do with cursing and drinking and all of these things. I want to point something out to our congregation here, okay? I'd like to just say it. There is no sin, by definition, is rebellion against God. If drinking were a sin in and of itself, then Jesus would be a sinner and our whole religion would be a lie. I believe that God did that on purpose. The first miracle he ever does is the one, the, the marriage. And he didn't just make droplets. This is not, I'm, I'm, I have a Presbyterian background. The way we do communion is we have this little, 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 teeny tiny, like, not even like a third of a shot glass kind of thing and you like take it out and you have like a little bite-sized piece of bread and that's kind of how I know communion for here, we dip it in in, in grape juice. But uh, actually a lot of conservative churches actually, actually use wine. Um, I'm gonna point something out to y'all. Jesus did not make little bite-sized portions of wine. He made entire jugs for drunk people. Okay, I just need to say it I'm not saying things, I don't like to talk out of my butt about like cultural Christianity. I don't wanna like skip around it, right? If you're not legal, then you're not legal. Don't talk to me about drinking when you're not legal. That's a whole other conversation for a whole other time. Drinking in and of itself is not a sin. Had my Greek professor say this to me and Gordon Conwell, okay? To everybody, everybody has to take Greek. Everybody has to go through Dr. K. Dr. K has said this. Okay, it's not just something that I'm conjuring up out of thin air. Christ made entire jugs out of water for people who are having, celebrating the holy matrimony, the holy union of two people as one. Wine is talked about in scripture in the context of joy and celebration. What makes sin a sin is not the act but the agent in the case of drunkenness and in the case of sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is, act-wise, one of the very few that are legitimate sins. Um, But certain things that were touched upon in this conference, such as cursing, such as drinking, these things are not and we will get to cursing in a little bit. I don't want to put cursing in the same category. But at least drinking, I need, I need people to know. It is not okay to shame another person for drinking, okay? And if there was a layer of shame that came over you in that moment as he was preaching, I'm going to lift that off of y'all in the name of Jesus. It's not the act in and of itself, but it's what you're using it for if your act of drinking is to walk away from the Lord. It is to distract yourself from your season. It is to distract yourself from your faith walk. It is to distract yourself from life, or from your pain, or to run away. If your act of drinking is an act of rebellion against the Lord, then it is a sin. Because sin, by definition, is rebellion against God. It is an archery term that means to miss the mark. Hamarsha. Okay? That's what sin means. So, anyway, um, but this first bit is a hard truth to swallow. It is that fornication is a sin. Now, I want to explain a little bit about why it is a sin. Because it's not just about, oh, uncleanliness, and it's not just about impurity. And I, I have to come, I, this is a lot to be vulnerable about in front of all these people at this time, right? But I have also, like in my past life, and have also struggled, right, with sexual immorality as a young girl growing up. I mean, I'm sure every single person in this room has struggled with desire. But I don't wanna just say, I know in our, in many of our, I'm looking around, most of us are Asians. um, But I'm considering that it's New England, I'm gonna guess that most of us have grown up in conservative households. We've been told all our lives, you cannot do this, Because I said so. There is a practical reason for why fornication is a sin. And that is because it is rooted in covetousness. And that's what scripture is talking about. So why is sexual immorality a sin? It's because it is rooted in self-indulgence and the desire to have more. especially because we exist as a church in the context of Christ as the bridegroom and the church as the bride. We exist in a context of marriage with the church and that's why sexual immorality is considered to be more of self-indulgence as well, right? There is a root of the heart in the act of just engaging in whatever bodily activity you want that is rooted in self-seeking acquisition. Um, That's a hard thing to talk about. But it's not just, I mean yes, also this is something I've learned practically Because, as somebody who has engaged in things that she has not, she should not have in the past, I've had to break off a lot of things. No matter how much you think that sex is just a bodily activity, it is a spiritual one as well. That is how God has created it. Therefore, when you engage with that with somebody, you get tied to that person, not just physically, but emotionally. If you've ever been in an unhealthy situation with somebody, a lot of the time, it might be because physical intimacy went too far. And your emotions, your soul, was tied to that person as a result. Some of us, we're too young in the room, we're like, what the heck is going on? More power to you, grace and favor over your life, please stay in school. Um, and <laughs> I'm not gonna you know, encourage anything, but I'm letting you guys know there is a legitimate reason for why, there's a legitimate reason for why this is difficult to do, okay? This passage also talks about coarse joking. We all know Jane Doe has a bit of a potty mouth sometimes. It comes from where, it it has to do with where I grew up. Y'all grew up in Massachusetts, I grew up in inner city Queens, all right, like, it's a very different place and a very different time. Most of y'all would not last a week where I grew up, okay, and where we talk, we talk a little bit like that. And so, I I am obviously Christian, but I have grown up in a particular culture and sometimes there will be a slip of the time. Uh, man, I almost slipped up yesterday. For those of you guys who have shown me grace, thank you. Um, but, This passage also talks about coarse joking. That is actually closer to what cursing is. When when it says in James, out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing, that's talking about damning somebody. I have heard. I grew up in a Presbyterian place. I've heard so many youth pastors take this passage out of context. This is why people gotta learn Greek. Because Cursing somebody is different from just saying a word. There is no way that those two things are the same thing, okay? So I know I'm not saying y'all can curse, y'all can cuss and do whatever you want to hear. Please do not do that. I will not hear y'all all of a sudden I'll be like, ah, Jay, those says it's not said." Let me just go. The- no, excuse me. We're still in church. Calm down. Okay, calm down. Chill out, right? But like there is, that is not the same thing. At all, at all. Cursing in antiquity, in the time of the synoptic gospels and now not the same thing. Not the same thing, not the same thing. I will say, crude, coarse joking. This wording here, this is, this is actually touching upon cursing. And it's, 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 good, to, it's good to talk about. Um, how does scripture define coarse joking? It's usually actually supposed to be a positive thing. It's like biting wit. If anybody knows my sense of humor, I have a really dark sense of humor. There's not a lot that I will not joke about. Okay, most, the more messed up it is, the more I feel an inch to react inappropriately and make a joke about it. And by God's grace, I stand before you today as your pastor. But um, I will say, like, coarse joking is normally talked about in a positive context because it, it implies wit. Man, I wish John was here, Pastor John was here. He's one of the more wittier people I know wit is a positive thing, right? Except for his dad jokes. Please, please, puns. We've gotta. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. If you if you do puns, that's fine. Maybe. Um, but coarse joking is is not just about wit though. And it's actually tied to sexual immorality in the context of making seemingly innocent Jokes with an indecent intention. So the kind of coarse joking that is talked about here is the kind of jokes, jokes that I have made uh, myself, and so I am no better than any person in this room, um, jokes that are indecent. Uh, And not just indecent, like, off the bat, but with the intention of suggesting desire in order to carry it out. For example, if you're on an app and y'all are flirting and the flirting gets a little, it goes from PG to PG-13, right? And it kind of just keeps getting knocked up. That That is, that is exactly the coarse joking that is being talked about here. Um, maybe when flirting goes a little too far,
1: et cetera, et cetera.
0: Um, and the reason for that is because When you joke about something as sacred as sex, you are making light of something that is serious, that God has created with intention. Um, For example, let's say I make a joke to my little sister about something that she's embarrassed about, right? Just anything, I don't know. Oh, I don't want to make a joke. I don't want to actually give an example. But like, let's say I make a joke and I made that joke to her with this mic in front of everybody. Like I almost just did right now, like a fool, right? Like imagine I did that with a mic in front of every single human being in this room, all 41 of us, right? And Tony got really uncomfortable. Even if it wasn't my intention to make her uncomfortable, it made her uncomfortable because it made light of something that meant more to her, right? And so even if I felt justified in doing it, it was not the right thing to do because it made light of something serious. That's even without intention. But when we have the intention of desire, when we have the intentions, not just of desire, it's not just fail, will, it's the desire of self-indulgence, which is, to put another way, When you do something just because you want it, you feel like it, and you want it really bad. And that's the only reason why you're doing it. Right? So coarse joking is when you make light of something that you shouldn't be making light of. Like a line that people probably shouldn't cross. Um, And it's talked about in the context directly opposite Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, what, so it, let me read it to you. It says, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. And it talks about the opposite, and I, I really want us to focus on this passage, it's what is really big about this passage is opposites, okay? So the opposite of coarse joking is thanksgiving. What would you think the opposite of course joking would be? Probably to chill, right? The opposite of a joke that is just too far is to not joke. We've got one of my favorite people right here in the back uh, who doesn't want to shut his mouth sometimes. Thank you, Christian, for not saying anything dumb yesterday. Um, But, no, I love him to death, y'all. But... We would think like the opposite of a joke that goes too far is to not joke too far. Actually, scripture says that the opposite of all of this is thanksgiving. Why does scripture say that? Why does scripture say this? It's because thanksgiving is the recognition of God's grace and generosity in order to genuinely be thankful for somebody, you have to force yourself to face the good stuff. In order to genuinely be thankful that you have parents, you have to force yourself to see the good in them. In order to be genuinely thankful that you have a community like this that you can lean back on, you have to force yourself to see the good. When we are not thankful, it often means that we are fixated on what is, not, what is not good. Grumbling comes out of a place of dissatisfaction. The opposite of crude joking is thankfulness. Just like dissatisfaction. A lot of the times, sometimes when our loneliness goes too far, even things like self-condemnation, often the opposite of that is to force yourself to see how God has been good to you. So the opposite of and why? Why would jokes? Why would the opposite of jokes be Thanksgiving? Often this the kind of jokes that they're talking about here. Not to say that all cussing is automatically like damned, right? Although you know, pick an appropriate time. You know, pick an appropriate time. Okay, um, this right here, this it's not an appropriate time. Um, but it's not just all like indecency, it's the indecency that has the intention of something more because then these jokes come out of what? An inability to look at God's grace for you and a desire to look at what you want instead and you joke about it. Unfortunately a lot of Jokes that are made about the context of sex that happen in our society, in media and whatnot, is this kind of joke. Um, Now, why are we talking about this? So TLDR of all of this, I know this is like a lot of trigger words and a lot of interesting words, and this might sound a little bit like a lecture. I needed to give you all that context because we're talking about the root of both crude joking and sexual immorality, which is what? Covetousness. Why is covetousness such a sin? Covetousness. When you covet something, often it is a context of idolatry. When you want something that bad, have you ever needed a peek? Of course, most of y'all. I hope, Jesus Christ, if you do not need to pee, we do not need to go there. I don't want to go to the hospital. I can't help you with that. But if, for most of us, we've been stuck. I don't know how many of y'all like do long trips, um, but let's say you're in Boston, you're going down to see your relatives, say New York, New Jersey, Maryland, D.C., wherever the heck, right? Or maybe up in Maine, or maybe past, or maybe you don't want a flight and it's a long flight, and you're like, you made sure you peed, you made sure you peed at home, you made sure you peed at the first rest stop, stop. and it's about two hours of just driving, and you're like, no. Some of us, we know, I'm a New Yorker, I am, my bladder is trained, all right? Because it's either that or peeing in Penn Station, you know what I'm saying? So my bladder is trained, but for a lot of us, because we have been blessed with cars, in suburbia, we haven't had to worry about that. So our bladders are not as trained. Like some of us, I don't know why I keep mentioning John today. His bladder is the size of a P. Driving with him is a pain in my butt. Um, because he will always have to make a I'm so sorry. Jesus, nobody let him listen to today's sermon. Um, so I, so some of us we have you know greater discipline and lesser discipline, and that's hey, more power to you either way. I love you either way. There's nothing that goes in the way of uh, your identity. Uh, let's say even if you have to pee off that, I think it's perfectly fine. But when it comes to long road trips, it is not fine anymore. All of a sudden you pee, you pee the hour before and it's an hour and 30 minutes in. You don't want to stop nobody, but you feel it coming. You're like, oh man, let me see. Oh, maybe, maybe, you know you know. We always do this thing where we overestimate ourselves. Like, I can handle it. I can do it, I can handle it, I think I can do it. I think. I can Like, 20 minutes later, you're like, there is no rest stop. We passed the rest stop 15 minutes ago. There's not going to be a rest stop for another 28 miles, and I can't handle this anymore. Okay? You pull over, right? At that point, when it gets to that point where you need to pee that badly, I don't know if y'all have ever had somebody try to talk to you. (laughs) Have you ever had somebody try to talk to you when you need to pee that bad? It's in one ear, out the other. They're like, you know, oh, man. Sometimes when I need to pee, and sometimes somebody's talking to me and they're like, Pastor Jane. like, I've had this happen to me, like, you know, in retreats and, you know, in Arise, and it's like, I really need to pee because I held it in for the entire worship service because I'm the worship leader, so I can't all of a sudden go away for a pee break, and I see everybody going on a pee break, and I'm like, I wish I was you, right? And <laughs> Right right when I said, come out, as I'm, you know, making a beeline for the door to go pee, somebody stops and be like, though, today's worship was so great, and I'm like, Yes, <laughs> I love you, and I hug them, but I am dying, right? And I'm like, this is not going to be pretty if this conversation does not end right now. It's not because I don't love them, but it's because, you know, sometimes when you, want, when you need to do it, you need to go. You just need to go, and at that point, everything, you know, you can't think of anything else, all your senses. The human body often, when one part of your body is in pain, your whole body feels it, and you can't stop. <laughs> Ladies, I'm really enjoying my illustration. Uh, so, like, once, once you know you start needing to go, obviously it takes over your senses. First, it takes over the bottom part of your stomach, and you're very conscious of just right here. But then it gets to the point where you can literally feel it in your temple, like you really need to go, right? That's what covetousness is like. First, when you first start to want something, it feels like it's not gonna be a big deal. You kind of want it. Oh, I kind of want to be in this relationship with somebody. I kind of want to be in this relationship with somebody, but I think God, I think I still like you more. I'm still more devoted to you. Two months later, it's gone up your leg. It's like, oh shoot, I pretty decently want to be with this person. And you're like, oh, I love you. Like oh sweetie whatever you call it I love you like and then you'll slip it in at the end not more than God obviously God is number one but you know you're right you're right there right under that and then that desire takes over you to the point where all you can think about is that person. I use this example of a romantic relationship because everybody can relate to it but this actually happens in every aspect of our lives even family success. Fear of failure. Desire for security. Desire for protection. Any of these things can be a desire that first starts in your toe and drags all the way up here. The thing about covetousness is that sometimes it can be so consuming that you lose sight of God. And when that happens, maybe when it was just in your hand, you didn't notice it. But when that when that fear of failure and that desire to make it rides all the way up past your heart into your head, at that point, you could be in this service right now, but you are not worshiping God. The one thing that can take over, we talked about this with Belshazzar, it's the same concept. When somebody gets so absorbed in their own experience that they fail to see the hurt and the pain of the people around them, the perspective of the people around them, when you are able to jump to conclusions about about an experience, a reality, just by what you're feeling without actually taking into consideration what the other person is feeling, and you fail to see that person, you fail to see God in the midst of the situation, because you're so caught up. It's the same thing. The root of it is the same thing. It's this desire that takes over you, this inner gaze that cannot be broken. And then it starts getting unhealthy. That relationship that you loved starts becoming really unhealthy and really isolating. Maybe that person isn't that greatest for you. All of a sudden, one day, Your desire to love on your child has gotten to a point where you are not able to see that child and you're stifling him or her, or your significant other, or your spouse. At a certain point, that desire to put food on the table and feed your family has taken over you to the point where it has taken over the desire to love on your family. And you'll work all day without actually ever looking at them or having a sentence with them. Or, one day, your desire to make money be successful for the sake of your parents, get those A's in that degree, has taken over you to the point where that has become your entire identity. Your job, the things that you achieve, that is all you are. That's covetousness. And Paul ties the seemingly like big, controversial term like fornication to that. It's like, oh, why is this not a good, like, did not God create sex? Are we not, like, blah, 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 blah. But then, once you tie it here, you're like, oh. Gets harder and harder to say about it. It's less about the act, and it's more about the motivation. Now comes in today's passage, right, for, You were once children of darkness, but now you are children of light, right? And this passage actually talks about, it says, for once, here, let me read it one more time for you all. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and righteous and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, blah, 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 blah. For it is, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. This is really interesting. And here's the thing about light versus darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. Darkness is the absence of, I am a little bit of a geek. When there are no photons, it is dark. Unless it is space and it is negative energy, we do not need to get into that negative matter. That's why the universe keeps expanding. I need to stop talking. So like, darkness is an absence of photons. When there are no photons emitted into the atmosphere, exhibit A, exhibit A. When there is no energy in the form of a photon, it is dark, okay? says take no part in the darkness, but instead expose them. And here we see, this is not just about children of darkness and children of right, as in right versus wrong. Here we see the impetus of what Paul is getting at. Paul is not randomly shaming people about doing the wrong thing. If you ever do this, come before the Lord. If you have ever shamed somebody, come before the Lord. That is not what Apostle Paul is doing. You cannot use this to shame somebody for having engaged in sexual immorality that is against the gospel message. Okay? It is against everything. If you know me, you would know it is against everything that I stand for. Judging and shaming and calling, like that's not, yes, these sermons are a lot, but I would never hold it over your head because that is not what I am allowed to do as your pastor. I am not the judge of your life, and no one is, right? This passage brings into a very interesting context, even I am hot. It brings into a very interesting context of darkness and light as a matter of exposure. It says, do not participate in acts of darkness, but instead what? Be better, be righteous, be perfect, be an angel, never sin again. No, expose them. When you are a child of the light, you are in a place where everything is open and you are able to come clean. Before people, no, before your God. And yes, before people that you trust, but most importantly, before God of heaven and earth who sees you. Darkness in this context has to do with blindness. When we are blind to our desires, to the point where our desires are our everything. When you are blinded by an unhealthy relationship, blinded by an unhealthy desire, often when people are so caught up in their desire, even in the world, people will say, you're blinded. You've been blinded. And this is talking about darkness in the context of blindness. So the opposite is light exposure. Darkness, then, is not as much the struggle of sin itself as much as it is complacency and secrecy. I'm going to say that one more time. Darkness, then, is not as much the sin and the struggle in and of itself. Your body is a body of flesh. We are already made righteous. We are not yet in the kingdom of heaven. You are going to be struggling with desire your whole life. We can do that together. All of us do. Even the most nicest most perfect person in the entire universe all it is is that you don't know what they're struggling with every single person in this room we struggle and god is not saying also you have to be a perfect person but darkness in this context is complacency and secrecy most importantly desiring something more than the lord blindness Our conference was called Rise and Shine, the last part, rise, O sleeper, and let the light of God shine on you. That's a baptismal hymn. Paul is invoking baptism in this understanding of darkness and light. And what is is baptism about? Baptism is about acknowledging The fact that you are a sinner in need of God's grace and God has forgiven you and that you believe the good news. Not on your own, though, in the context of the corporate. Baptism has no significance if it's not in the context of church. Because the point of baptism is is a proclamation of what you believe to the body of Christ that you are a part of. And it's talking about an exposing. The imagery shifts here from darkness to light to sleep to light. So, sin versus exposure. A lot of us, what I have noticed about New England, see, it was, so, it was honestly so nice um, having Joey and, and the GBC fam come up uh, last week because um, I know Pastor Joey through a missions organization called 4CM. It was really wonderful uh, to have so many people around me from my context again. I will say, though, in New York, you don't really hide things because you don't really care. Like As much as I've done stuff and I've been places, I have not lied to my mom about what I've done. Not really big on that. In the end, she knows it all. Because there's nothing to hide, I mean like, there's nothing to hide, there's nothing to lose. Over here though, in New England, there's a big, there's a big thing of shame. And a big thing of secrecy. Like, how many of you guys actually know what each other is struggling with? Most of you guys have seen each other's faces all your lives. Some of you guys have seen each other's faces through a rise. We also have a lot of newcomers. Ooh, I am also a newcomer. I've only been here for about like three years, four years. It's my fourth year in November. Uh, anyway, uh, so, right? Yeah, that's wow. Uh, anyway, um, right? But how many of you guys actually know each other? And the, you know, you know the funny thing about the Korean church? Because the adults talk, or because you know, people talk, like people will talk about each other. Like, oh, did you see what this person is up to? Like, oh, this little person looks like the person. Like, right? But how many of you guys actually know about the people you're talking about? Like, isn't the prerequisite about talking about another person's life knowing them personally? So there's this weird culture in New England where it's like there's a lot of shame. You gotta keep things in the bedroom, you gotta keep things in the home, you gotta keep things internally. Show your best self. You can still talk about other people's dirty laundry, but there's a lack of knowing each other. Children of Light is the freedom to know each other. You were created for community. I'm not saying you have to share everything to every person and their moms. No, please use wisdom and discernment. But there is no need for shame in the correct context where there is no judge and where there is love and unity. This is interesting because oftentimes people shame each other for not being good enough, not being a proper Christian not doing all the right things. Hey. But maybe this particular understanding of darkness and light would make some of the most perfect people in church the actual people living in darkness. but it's not just about community. We, are, we have the freedom to know each other, not because we are good people. As much as I love Tim and we are very, extremely close, I do not have the right to know him because I'm a good person. Okay? It's because our friendship, our deep relationship exists in the context of God's grace. Because there is a God that loves us, we have the freedom to be free, to share. That is why we can know and love one another. It's human beings' greatest desire to be known and loved. That's because you were created that way. That's because even God is not alone. If you only have one person, God doesn't exist in two either. He exists in three. Very interesting how God works. Because sometimes even two isn't that healthy. Sometimes things come into the light and it's embarrassing. But when you're surrounded by the right people, it's healing. It's healing in the context of God's grace. And you need to smell your funk to clean it. I'm quoting Kamana. She's not here. She's in Florida right now. Um, I'm sure she'll see this later. Kamana, I love you. You're still here. Um, Yeah. You need to smell your funk to clean it. How do we apply this? The first thing is that Thanksgiving is a very important and practical way of walking in the life. God is not a person to just call you out on a laundry list of things that you should and should not do for the sake of doing it. God is a merciful and gracious God. All of a sudden, that doesn't go away just because he is judge and because he is fair. He has good reason. For why he says certain things but when we want what we want more than when we want him we get caught in the things that we want to do we get caught and whatever we have that you know you, have, you just gotta pay like you just it just takes over you and that's the only thing you can see the opposite of covetousness is thanksgiving the opposite being so dissatisfied with what God had to offer you, is to be confronted with the grace of God. Another practical thing, clearly, is that your sin is not what makes you dark. If you had no sin, you would have no need for a savior. Similarly, another person's sin is not what makes them dark. Please. The next time you're about to comment on someone's life, about their sin, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Seriously. Ask yourself, do I know this person? Have I ever extended the grace of God to this person? Like, do you know Tim? If you don't know him, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Because what makes somebody dark is not their sin. It is their secrecy. And the light of God is gracious. It is clarifying. It is exposing. But God does not just air out your cobwebs, to shame you. He does this to heal you. He does this to restore you. He does this to make you whole. God is not a God. of condemnation. There is now, therefore, no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That is the reality that you and I live in. That is the light that exposes us. Because we can be free to deal with ourselves and deal with our ish when we are finally not condemned anymore. You're not going to be perfect but you were never meant to hold it in alone or do it alone. Sanctification then and growing as a child of God is being okay with the light. It's revealing, but it's life-giving. It might feel horrendous at first, but it is healing. You'll be okay. There is no reason for why you won't be okay. Say you've acted in sexual immorality. It's okay. If there's somebody who needed to hear that today, it's okay. Christ died for you, for your sin, for your shame. You are righteous. Not because you are a good person, because his robes are on you. And there's no right for anybody to tell you otherwise. Ever. So, don't walk in darkness. Come into the light. It's okay. It's okay. Another thing is, when you're having a hard time obeying God, ask yourself. When you are Some of us, we might be in this space right now, and we're hearing all of this, and we're like, "Oh, like, you know, we're talking about like all these things, and this is not what I came here to listen to." And I'm met with resistance. Sometimes I want to say what I want to, and why can't I engage in intimacy with the person I love? Why is that so bad? Hey, these are legitimate questions. But you must acknowledge God. First and foremost, you must acknowledge God. You cannot, but your lack of acknowledging God doesn't change the reality that God is who he is. It's only a matter of where you stand in light of the reality of sin and grace, right? But more importantly than that, when you are met with resistance, when you have a hard time accepting and acknowledging God Ask yourself, what am I having a hard time believing? Oftentimes when we are when our hearts are met with this resistance, like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to obey God. I don't understand why I have to do this. There is an underlying reason, and that is most almost always disbelief. When you have a hard time obeying God, ask yourself, what am I having a hard time believing? That God will love me, that God was with me all along, that I am not alone, that I am actually saved, that it's not just Pastor Jane that gets to be loved by God, but that I am also his child? What is it that you are having a hard time believing that is leading you to meet God's will for you with hardenedness and distrust his good intentions for you? Because oftentimes our apathy and our bitterness and our resistance is distrust. That God isn't who he says he is. That he isn't real. We doubt. And that's why we resist. Ask yourself, what am I having a hard time believing? That God will love me? That people will accept me as God loves me? What is it? If somebody doesn't accept you as God loves you, let's talk about it. Not every person is going to be perfect. Even in church, you're going to have relational conflict. There's going to be pain. We are not 41 angels. Maybe some of y'all think you all are. To you I say no comment. I am not. I am not. Okay? We will mess up. Don't will hit the fan. It just will. I don't know how to explain this to you. You will find yourself doing things that you never thought you would do. That's life, that's life. You will find yourself saying things and doing things that you never thought you would do. Not to the person you loved, not in this situation. I never thought I would stoop so low. That's okay. Do you realize that that's what Christ died for? That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. But let's talk about it. Will we stay in darkness or will we come into the light? The final thing is that it's just simple. The opposite of self-indulgence is unconditional sacrifice. Every single time you wanted something else more than God, every single moment that you wanted to do whatever the heck you wanted to do, that is what Christ died for and countered with His sacrifice every single moment you just wanted to do whatever the heck you wanted to do, that's what Christ died for. And that's okay. So when you are, I don't know how to say this, and I only know what to just say. this? you, what is, you, just, you it? Shame, right? when you feel called out, when you feel called out, Remember that this very thing that you're feeling called out about, that's what Christ conquered. You are free. Free to live in the blessings that God has for you. Could we take this time to pray? I don't know what this means for most of y'all. I don't know what you struggle with, nor do I ask. The reason for that is because sometimes I genuinely don't think that that's necessary. Not because I don't care about you, but because God's grace is over your life To your desires. Not just to your shame, your insecurity, but to your desires. God says, I love you. To the very thing that you never want people to find out that you did. God says, I love you. I love you. You have no reason to be ashamed to walk into this room, to come before the Lord. You have no reason to be ashamed about anything, even your lack of faith. Because that's what Christ died for. He died to have you. So could we take this moment to lift up And come into the light. Is there something that you haven't shared with God recently? Have you not talked to God in a long time about something? Could we talk to God today? Let's take this time to pray. Let's pray.
1: From wherever you are listening, we hope you are blessed by this week's message. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com.